Welcome back everyone to the Content Lab podcast. We're here for you to talk about all aspects of content marketing. I'm John Becker, Editorial and Features Editor at Impact, and I am joined as always by Liz Moorhead, Editor-in-Chief. That's right. I somehow, right. you know, even though I, um, I never learned to read or write, uh, and I use Pumpkin, my cat, to basically take care of all of my content creation duties, I've managed to fool everyone. It's quite an astounding feat. You've uh, come so far. I know. It is a house of cards, though. This could all fall apart at any moment. <laughs> but for now, yes, I am editor-in-chief at Impact, illiterate and dysfunctional as I am. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So okay. That you, you might hear that that... Way. That that's not me laughing. Uh, we have a special guest today on our podcast. And that is Shondell Varciana. Hi, Shondell. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're we're glad to have you. And we're going to learn a lot more about Shondell in a few minutes. I have one small anecdote to reply to Liz's House of Cards. There's this funny story about my uh, my wife when she was growing up. She played the violin and. She's just like, she's a language teacher. She picks up language really quickly and she just did everything by ear. And so she never learned to read music. She would just always pick something up, hear it, listen to it, play it in class and just like get along. And so she started playing the violin in like third grade when you, you know, when you start and she made it up to, I think like ninth or 10th grade, all living this lie and this ruse that she could play music and it was the first time in an actual class where they had to play like this person plays the first part, then this person plays the second part. So she couldn't hear someone and copy them. And it got to her and she was like, I can't read music. And everyone, you know, it was like the record screeches and, and everyone kind of stops and turns and looks. And she was uh, found out and gave it up. So she gave it up because she couldn't read music? Oh, why didn't she just learn how to read music? <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I relate to your wife. Okay, I am pro. I am pro not reading music. I am the same way. So I understand. It's very difficult. Well, I can read music, but I can't play by ear. So for me, it's the opposite. Like, so, I, I, I'm not like I can read. I could be music, but playing by ear. Uh, uh. Like, what was that? <laughs> so we need someone's got to have the perfect a combination of both. But yeah, but I think it's better to be able to play by ear. Because you can always just learn how to read music. I don't know if you can learn how to play by ear. Maybe you can. I don't know. Okay. I just found I'm sure one of the members of ABBA had that nailed down. <laughs> <laughs> the majesty and wonder of their entire musical anthology. One of them's got to be that intersection of what we're talking about here. Am I right? I'd like to think so. SOS. <laughs> so we are thrilled to have Shondell join us today. And she has a ton of interesting experience and insight into... Uh, content marketing in general, but also a, a sort of specific niche, which I think will allow us to have a, a pretty interesting conversation. So, Shandell, could you start by just introducing yourself to the audience, talk a little bit about your background and, and how you've come to be where you are? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm originally from Canada. I was born and raised in Toronto, and uh, that's interesting in and of itself. But uh, <laughs> I started... I started working in the corporate world. Well, I started working in a, in a major bank. There's only a few banks in Canada. So nothing like the US where there's like, you know, hundreds of banks here. Um, so I worked with one of the oldest banks in Canada when I was 18, I started working there and I just worked my way up. And then I left there and I started working for um, a company called Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. They're the same thing as PMI here in the US. 
And while I was there, um, I had paid off a couple mortgages. I had the, the property I was living in and then I had a rental property. And um, I had paid off both of those mortgages in, it was about 11 years. And um, I told maybe three people. And um, one of my girlfriends suggested that I start giving people advice on how to, you know, buy real estate, pay off mortgages and things like that. And I thought, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. So she suggested that I start blogging to give people advice. So that's what I started doing. But I didn't know what blogging was at the time. So this is probably around two, this was just be, just right when I paid off the mortgages. So right at around 2011, beginning of 2012, I had no clue what that was. So she started explaining it to me, taught myself how to blog, created a website. Over time, my blog got popular and I started to become a part of the whole personal finance community. And um, that led to a bunch of opportunities. Radio stations started contacting me. Magazines wanted to hear my story. So I was in, you know, Red Book Magazine. I was on a few radio shows. And then that led to me working with um, a lady by the name of Gail Vazoxlade. She's the Susie Orman, but of Canada. She had a bunch of TV shows, did, does a lot of work in the whole personal finance community. And while I was working with her, companies started to contact, and contact me wanting me to write for them. Um, now, I don't have a, I, I didn't go to school for journalism, right? None of that stuff. Uh, this was just something that I just done just to give people advice. And I guess people thought I could write. So they, you know, hey, why not? And I was still working at CMHC at the time. So I thought, you know, I'm always open to opportunity. So I started writing for companies. I started getting so busy that um, I couldn't manage all the work because I still had my full-time job. So my husband suggested that I hire some writers and I thought, well, that's a great idea. Why don't, why don't I just do that? So that's how my business was born, Varsity Media. Um, and then I just brought the, the, the company to um, Atlanta, Georgia in 2014 and started niching into financial institutions. So we, we write for financial institutions, banks, credit unions, mortgage companies. Um, really, the reason why we focus on that is just because it's my background. I've been working in banking since I was 18. And I saw a gap when I was blogging, excuse me, um, a lot of people were coming to me for advice, um, but not because I worked in the industry, but because they wanted to, because of my experience, because of I bought homes young. I bought my first property when I was 20, and then I paid off both mortgages in a fairly short period of time. So people wanted my advice because of that, not because I worked in the industry. And I, I knew that there was a gap between all of the information that is in financial institutions and how that information is getting to their ideal customers. Because people who were coming to me for advice are the bank's ideal customers, people who are wanting to buy a home, people who are wanting to buy you know, rental property, first time home buyers, things like that. But they weren't going to the banks for advice. They were coming to me, not because I worked you know, inside of the industry, but because of my experience. So that was the reason why we started to niche into financial institutions simply because it was my background and I saw the gap um, in how they were able to get all the information that they have to their ideal customers. And that's how that all kind of came together. Well, I have so many questions. That that's a fantastic story. That's super interesting. Let me start, let me start here. Mm -hmm. So you at the advice of some friends, you kind of started blogging. How did you did, was that like a, a process of a lot of self-discovery, of trial and error? Like you said, if you started with, with not really knowing what blogging was, yes. and a few years later, you're having major financial institutions, you know, knock on your door. Yeah. How did you get up to speed so quickly? How did you kind of figure out that process? It wasn't quick. I wrote for free for two years. I didn't even know people got paid to blog. Like I was really, you know, clueless. Like I had no clue. Because the thing with me is I grew up, um, 
in a family and around people who were always employees. So I, I was not exposed to business owners, entrepreneurs, things like that. So I wasn't even thinking in that in, in that direction at all, because I didn't even know what it looked like. It wasn't until I met my husband. Um, so w- while I was paying off the mortgages, he was my boyfriend at the time. So he was self-employed and he was in my ear all the time. You know, you got to have your own business. And I was just like, why? I work for, I have a good job. I mean, I don't need my own business. But then it just kind of made sense. And um, I didn't, I didn't know what blogging was. I started reading about blogs. I started reading a whole bunch of blogs and I thought, wow, this is a great way to reach a large number of people um, in a fairly quick period of time. Because if, if I start blogging, then you know, pretty much anyone who has internet could read it. Um, and that's what I started doing. And then I started to, um, I was really involved. I was on forums, I was in groups. Um, so my blog got popular over time. So it was two years though that I was doing that before um, I got any, before anyone asked me to um, write for them and, and actually pay me. So it was, it was some time and it was a lot of self-discovery because like I said, I had no clue. Um, but over time, as I got popular, and then uh, what brought more people to me was um, Red Book Magazine reached out to me and um, a few radio stations in Toronto wanted to hear my story. And then that led to a lot of guest posts and people contacting me, wanting me to guest um, post for them. So then that increased my reach. And then Gail Vazoxley, that was the real push because she's huge in Canada. Um, and she had like three television shows at the time. So when I worked, so it was over time with the magazines, the radio stations, and then Gail Vazoxley, it just um, put me in front of more people. And then that's when companies started to contact me. So it was a process of uh, before I got to, um, you know, a client contacting me. And then we, the the money I was making was just more than what my job was paying. So it just didn't really make sense to stay there anymore. And then there was a whole bunch of other things. We were trying to get pregnant. So I was so busy. So there was just a lot going on that it didn't really make sense to keep the full-time job. It made more sense just to focus on the business and just see how far I could take it. Mm. So as you like as you went further and further down this path, it's something that you said that was really interesting to me is um, like I think in, in the in the realms of finance, as you said when when we met earlier, finance touches everybody. You know, yeah. everybody is a customer. It's wherever you are in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think everyone or many people feel at an information disadvantage when they are talking about any, anything related to finance uh, in terms of the products and the services that they're gonna get from a bank, from a mortgage lender, for anything else. And I'm sure the content you're writing, like people have questions. And are, are, do you approach it sort of thinking about if I were on the other side of this article, what would I wanna know? Or what, what do I need explained to me in a way that doesn't make me feel stupid? Like, yeah. how do you connect with that audience in a way that feels helpful for them? Authentic, yes. I've been on both sides of the fence because I worked in the industry and I've, I'm still a customer of the industry this, to this day and have always been. So I've, and one thing that uh, when you work in the industry, there's a lot of abbreviations, a lot of bank lingo, a lot of, and, and it becomes something, it becomes a language um, of its own because, you know, I worked in the industry for 16 years before I started my own business. So I, you know, a lot of things are ingrained. You just kind of know the lingo and that's, um, that could be dangerous because the average person does not know that, right? So that's where, you know, ha- being able to speak to the audience where they are 
is really important. And that's where knowing your customer comes in. You have to know your customers and, and know what they want and where they are in their journey. And you need to know where they're going. Where are they going to be in the next six months? Where are they going to be in the next year? So you can tap into that throughout their journey. Like if they're getting married, do they want to buy a house after they get married? Are they going to have a, a couple of babies after that? So you, and that only comes from relationships, right? You, you only know about somebody if you have a relationship with them. Um, and that takes time, right? That's not just something you kind of just learn all that about somebody today, right? That takes time getting to know them. And, um, and the best way, there's, there's many ways you can get to know customers, but um, one of the ways that I suggest the fastest way um, is just join Facebook groups where your ideal customers are and just hang out there for a few months at least and look for patterns, look for what your ideal customer is talking about. Um, what, are, what are some of their pain points? What questions do they have? Just sit there and listen, take 20 minutes a day. I always ask them to task someone to take 20 minutes a day, go into these Facebook groups. Um, you only need to join maybe two or three of the, the top ones. If you're, for example, if you're wanting to target first time home buyers, there are so many first time home buyer groups, go to the ones that have the most people and are the most active, meaning they post every single day, because then you'll see the patterns quicker. After you've spent a few months just sitting back and looking at what people are saying and you're looking for the patterns, then you can start chiming in. If you can provide value, start answering some of those questions. So now you're, now you're getting in front of them and you're already joining an audience that's already has. Everyone in these groups have either bought or are wanting to buy or else they wouldn't be in the group. They're interested or they've already bought and maybe they want a second home. So everyone in there is interested, um, but they may not be interested now, but this is how you start to build relationships, right? And then the goal is to bring them back onto your Facebook page, your business Facebook page, the bank's Facebook page, where you should have post every single day and then you engage them. And then you wanna get them onto your website so they sub subscribe. So it's a holistic approach you take, but that's the very beginning stages is to join one of the Facebook groups and really, really get to know your audience and know what they want. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned at the start of this answer that really just kind of made me light up. And it reminds me of a conversation we had in our last episode with Kevin Phillips, who's our principal content marketing trainer, about the importance of using the language that creates a bridge between you and your audience and not use, leveraging your expertise as a weapon, yes. which I think unintentionally a lot of quote unquote experts, and I'm not saying quote unquote in a, in a glib way, but more like those who consider themselves expert in their fields. They often feel as if in order to bridge that divide between them and their audience, they have to do what they consider to be dumbing down their content. And my follow-up to you here is, is I would be, be curious to hear your thoughts on what would you say to someone who would say, you know, I, you know, I hear what you're saying, Shandell. It's really important for me to build a bridge between me and my audience to understand where they are, where they're coming from. But every time I sit down to create content, I feel like I'm not writing about the things I want to be writing about. And instead, I'm having to pander as a teacher and to dumb everything down that I am considered a professional and an expert at. The, it's never about you. It's all about them you always have to, you have to get you out of the equation because it has nothing to do can with you, it. Can you say that once more loudly for the people <laughs> in the nosebleed seats? It's yeah. not about me? No, I, I think that is the hang up uh, that a lot of people, not even just in the financial you know, industry, in general, when you're creating any type of content, it's, it, and I don't want to be rude, but who cares what you think? It's what your ideal customer thinks and wants. That's all that matters. And that's, 
sometimes because and what you said is so true because I've been in the I was in the industry for 16 years I completely get where you're coming from and just the mindset because you're in a bubble right when you work you know you're at a company for eight to ten hours a day you're in this bubble and you're hearing things every day and you're doing your work every single day so the information that you know you know it like the back of your hand but your customers may not know that and it's not a matter of dumbing down the information because people are extremely smart and can google anything it's a matter of connecting with the people that you want to reach and speak to them the way they want to be spoken to so it has nothing to do with dumbing down a lot of these people could be smarter than you and i right it's just educating them in a way where it's a conversation and it's not talking down to, it's talking with them. It's being a part of the conversation that they're already having, bottom line. That's the best way to put it. It's being a part of the conversation that they're already having. No one wakes up and says, I'm gonna buy a house today. They've talked to friends, they've checked out uh, realtor.com, they've checked out zillow.com, they've maybe even spoken to a real estate agent. So you wanna be involved and a part of that conversation that they're already having. And that's how you get the content ideas and the topics and so forth, because they're already talking about it. Just join in. Something that we talk a lot about at Impact is the tendency of companies to be very hesitant to address some of the biggest questions that their buyers are naturally going to be asking. Um, so companies might not want to talk about potential drawbacks of their products or services. They might not want to talk about price. They might not want to talk about you know, make honest reviews or honest comparisons. Um, yet we know that those are the most important things that, that people want to know when they're, when they're researching something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to, yeah, you don't want to talk about pricing and costs. I don't want to talk about the fact that I shoved an entire wedge of brie in my face last night. There are a lot <laughs> of things nobody wants to talk about, but that doesn't mean you don't get to talk about them. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and I think that when you talk about your faults, people relate to you more. It's the, it's the trying to be perfect that people distance themselves from because none of us are perfect. So I think that when you can talk about your faults and talk about what's not working, what maybe didn't work yesterday, but you know what, you, you've listened to your customers and now these are the changes that you may, are making, people appreciate that. People like authenticity. They like transparency. We all like that, right? So I don't really see anything wrong with um, just putting it out there. Uh, people will appreciate that more than hiding it or you know, acting like something is when it's not, right? I just think that we're in a time right now where um, authenticity and transparency, transparency is what will win because we're, it's just the time that we're in right now. And I don't think this is gonna go anywhere. I think it's just gonna get, people are looking for deeper connections um, and you can't provide deeper connections if you're not transparent, if you're not authentic, if you're not trying to um, serve your customers. I think that's certainly been an interesting effect of the pandemic. You know, suddenly yeah. we have these, where, where we might normally have, have interacted with people in their office, Yes. Dressed and acting a certain way. Now we have, like, I'm in my son's bedroom right now because <laughs> it's the quietest place in my house. You know, we all have these interesting windows into each other's lives. And, and it's not just, you know, it, it's not just our coworkers and our friends. It's also celebrities. I, I think yeah. so many people follow celebrities on Instagram and feel like they know them yeah. personally in a way that's never really existed before. Why do you think um, reality TV is so popular? Because you feel like you're a part of people's lives. 
Right. That, they're that's confessing really to you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's really why reality TV is so popular because we feel like we're in their house, sitting in their couch, watching TV with them. Like we feel like we're part of the conversation that they are having. That's why reality TV is doing so well. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. I, I think most people would consider the financial services field as a more buttoned up industry, a more reserved industry. And um, because we're talking about really serious things and, and it's just as we might think um, medical fields or law or, or different, we would expect someone in that field to look a certain way, to sound a certain way, to so, you know even like dress a certain way. So how do you write in a way that feels, as you said, human, that builds a human connection when you're writing in an industry that typically feels a little bit more austere, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more um, impersonal. You make the con- you make it conversational. You talk with, not to, uh, is, mm-hmm. is kind of the best way to describe it. You join the conversation that they're having. It doesn't need to be all buttoned up. You see, people's perception of banks are, you know, big top, big office building. Um, very strict guidelines, things like that. But, um, you know, that's changing because of social media and um, and people are actually getting now getting to see inside of these institutions and realizing that, you know, the people that work there look like you and me. Um, you know, it's not necessarily everybody dressed in a suit and tie. So I think that perception is starting to change because we're now being a little bit more open um, as an industry. So that is changing. Um, but really, it's the tone. It's the style. It's how you speak to it's how you speak with um, your ideal customer. And um, the best way I can anytime it comes to content, I always say it's best to um, kind of speak the language that your ideal customer is speaking. Um, obviously not curse words if they're if they're cursing, but um, kind of like be. You see how you and I are having a nice dialogue. Um, we've had a conversation prior to this, so we kind of knew you know each other a little bit. So it kind of makes the conversation flow. This is part of just getting to know someone and building that relationship with them, and then the conversation just gets better and better over time. It's not something that just cut you. You'll necessarily get right at the beginning. This is something that is built over a period of time. As you get to know your customers, as your customers get to know you, you write in a style and a manner that is uh, true to who you are as a brand, but also will resonate with your ideal customer. So it's bridging that gap. And sometimes that takes time. That's not, you know, I post something today and it's necessarily going to resonate. You've got to test, you've got to keep on working on it until you've got that perfect fit of who you are as a brand and making sure that the message is building relationships and is resonating with your ideal customer. Okay. I have two questions here. We're going to start with the biggest one in the room. Um, and this, and I say this as the devil's advocate who has gotten this question myself, and I'd be very curious to hear what your answer might be. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one. So when you say speak conversationally, what does that look like? And how is it different from what people are already doing? Like tactically speaking, how does the bill become the conversational content law? Yeah. You know, I- and then number two, how do you know if it's resonating? Like, how do you know if you're even doing it well? Okay, so um, so the first one is, you know, that's easy, ask questions. Um, you, conversational content is usually um, content that is engaging and engaging content is usually uh, content that's asking questions um, within the content. Like, what do you think? Add, adding call to actions uh, throughout the content so that they're thinking of what you're talking about, they're thinking about the answer to that. And then that invites them to 
uh, add a comment at the end. So that's how you make it conversational by asking some questions throughout and then engaging with them in the comments after they read your content and now they're starting to engage. You're engaging with them as well. You know if it's resonating based on um, analytics. So if the content is on your website and and they, you can get analytics on any social media. If you're running ads on Facebook, you'll get the most analytics because you're paying, obviously. But um, so if it's an ad on social media, you can go through Facebook analytics and they'll tell you um, how engaging your content was. If it's on your website, Google analytics will tell you how long people stayed on it. Um, and then you can put call to actions on there if you want them to go somewhere else. Did they go to where you want them to go? So the analytics is what will tell you how well your content is doing. And you have to be looking at that consistently because if you if you're um, not looking at the analytics, then you're not going to know how well your content is doing. And then you won't know if you need to make tweaks or not. So and that's the main purpose of content is to make sure that it is resonating with your ideal customer. So you have to continuously test until you get your analytics to where you want them to be, whatever that looks like for your brand. But those are the kind of the two answers to those questions. Hmm. Does that kind of, does that answer your questions? No, it absolutely does. I think the follow-up there to that is what were the biggest challenges when you were getting started with that? Or did you well, always I wasn't, speak conversationally? I was, do, you mean, do you mean as a business or when I was just blogging? Because I wasn't blogging to get any attention. I was just doing it because my friend suggested. But. So I mean, when you sat down and said, I am going to sit down and start answering people's questions and content for myself. And yeah. for some people, there is this weird trigger where they immediately sit down and go, well, I'm writing about business stuff. So I'm going to put everything I say through a business filter. Did you ever have that moment or did you just skip right over that? No. So when I started, I kind of accidentally made it conversational because the way how I started my blog is I turned it into a series of, um, so I was doing two parts. I used to be a, a mortgage loan originator as well. So I was doing two parts. I was doing part where I was working in the bank and lending people money. So I was giving people the perspective of what to look for when you're applying for a mortgage. Cause I was the one lending money in my previous life. And then I was also going on the side of, I actually got the mortgage, lived in the house, paid it off and exactly what I did. So it kind of became conversational because I was able to give two parts and two sides to exactly what people were looking for. And that created a lot of engagement. And then I would just go into the comments and, um, you know, engage with the audience, answer their questions. Some of them would just be like, you know, a lot, of, I used to get a lot of questions. Where was the first property you bought? How much was it? Um, how did you find a tenant? Did you use a management company? Like, how did you pay off your mortgage? Like, I was getting all those questions and I would answer those questions. And then that helped me to create even more content because people were asking certain questions, especially about how I found a tenant. So then I, I wrote a post about how I found a tenant. So, um, th and that gives you so much information uh, when you're in the, co the comments is, is gold, in my opinion, because that tells you exactly what people uh, want to know. And then you just create more content based on what people want to know. So, and that just kept happening over and over time. And then I just kind of, I kind of fell into what works because like I said, I didn't know. Um, and then I just started doing more research and more reading and more taking more courses to kind of perfect the way we do it. But that's how I started. Um, I was always asking questions in my content and then making sure that I was engaging in the comments. I love that. I, I love the idea that if you listen you'll know exactly what you're writing about. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. And you know where to look. And yeah. second, I, I, Liz and I have talked about this before on this podcast that it often takes people a long time to get to a place where they can write conversationally. 
you know, as Liz says, we sort of put on a, you know, we put on a suit in our mind when we, when we write and we, we take up a posture. And a lot of times that's kind of a shield, you know, it, we want to, like we were saying before, we want to sound smart. We want to sound like how we think we're supposed to sound. Yes. And on top of that, we're taught in school you know, to write in a very formal manner, to don't be conversational, don't, uh, don't be colloquial, just, just be really factual. And, and if you can't prove it, it doesn't matter. Your opinions don't matter. And, and that has a real lasting effect on us. And I think it's, it's so interesting, your, your story, because if you start out writing in a way just to help people, to connect with people, like you're naturally gonna be there's a conversationality that feels natural there. Whereas I think many writers have to kind of go through a process of unlearning what they have learned in terms of the formality that they learn in school, but also trusting themselves enough to be able to speak in their voice. And yeah. something that Liz says all the time, and I'm, I'm actually, I'll ask you to do it, Liz, because you're going to do it better than me, but, but she says something to the effect of like, does this, could anyone else have written oh, yeah. this? Whenever somebody gives me a draft of anything before I look it over, I'm like, I usually put it one of two ways. Could anybody else have written this but you? Like, is it undeniably you top to bottom? Uh, another way of putting it is, could I have put someone else's name as the author on here and been able to tell the difference? That's so good because my most viral posts are um, stories about me. <laughs> so, I mean... It's just that that is so good because people want authenticity. They want you, right? right? That's why we're here. I mean, we're, we're here to share us to the world, right? That, that's really why we're here. And we just have to kind of find that voice and, um, you know, just be us. And I know it could be hard sometimes because, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're putting ourselves out there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that kind of just takes practice um, especially for people who are trying to build personal brands. Um, but I, I just say, just keep, keep at it until you, you, um, you get to a point where, you know, it's actually resonating, just stick with it. Yeah. And, you know, taking a step back further, cause I think somebody could be listening to this and they could be saying, well, Shandell, you know, you're, you're that one woman army, you know, you're in full control of your brand top to bottom. I'm in a big organization that's corporate and blah, blah, blah. And to be clear, if you're listening to this, uh, I know I talk a lot about Fast and Furious and Godfather and make a lot of inappropriate jokes, but like I work at a B2B services firm, like at a big company of 50 plus people. Um, the reason I bring that up is this. I think sometimes people hear these things and they forget that disconnect of like, how many business leaders out there do you think probably would agree with the statement that our people are our biggest differentiator and our greatest asset? And then you look at their content and everything sounds the same, no matter who wrote it. And then more than that, if you were to stack their content next to that of a competitor or multiple competitors, they all sound exactly the same. So like, it is completely like, how are you going to stand out and make money and prove that you are actually different and better and your people are your greatest asset if you put them on such tight leashes where they can't sound like themselves or you don't realize that you're not encouraging them and making it a safe space for them to do so. Yeah, 100% correct. You're one, and that is changing very, very slowly. 
that is starting to change. And I think that um, the pandemic is doing that. I, it's, it's unfortunate that it's taken such, you know, a catastrophic, you know, it, it's taken a pandemic for, for the industry to wake up, but that is slowly changing because the people are demanding it, right? So if you don't do it, you'll kind of just get left behind, bottom line. Um, that's just the bottom line because the brands that are doing it are scooping up the customers. So if you're not doing it, it's just, you, you have to find a way to connect with people, period. And if you don't, you're, you're going to just kind of get left behind because people want, that's, that's what people want. People want relationships. People want to feel like they're not a number. They want to feel like you know them, right? And those are the people that, um, and that's who you'll do business with. Even you, even you and me, like, don't you want to do business with brands that you feel get you, right? You don't want to do, you don't want to do business with someone or the brand who thinks of you as a number, like anybody else. What number am I? 20 million, 330,000. Like <laughs> you, you want to feel like you matter. And all of us are in that boat. We all want to feel like we matter. And we want to give money to brands that we feel get us and understand us and are going to serve us. Period. So for for a company though do they see that as as risky you know like if you if you want your your people to share their personalities you know they might sometimes tell bad jokes they might sometimes you know try to be i don't know a certain way and it doesn't land right like i feel like there has to be a a, a culture of like well there's both boundaries but then a culture of, that supports I don't want to say experimentation, but supports personality, supports individuality, and allows that to come through in content, yes. as well as boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, always remember that there's always policies and procedures that have to be followed, that have to be adhered to at all times. So you'll always have to work within the, within the confinements of whatever company you're working for, um, especially if you're working for a large brand. Um, so for example, like when we write content, um, we, we get a lot of information upfront before we even start writing any type of content. Um, but before it gets published, it has to go through legal. Um, so it's got to go through some stages before it actually goes out. Um, so everything still has to fall within the confinements of whatever their policies and procedures are. But within that, there's, you still have to find a way to, to connect and resonate. Now, every company has, we have policies and procedures and we're not, you know, 100 people. So every company has to have that because, we, you know, we, we're a brand and we stand for certain things. So there are certain things that just can't be said naturally. And everyone has to know that before they post anything, right? So that would be part of the training when they start working for the company. But I think the overall message here is just um, really, really get to know and understand your customer and find a way to bridge the gap between who you are as a brand and how that information and how you can create content that will resonate with your customer, however that looks. That's really the, the overall message is, and, and you have to figure that out. The, the company is going to have to figure that out, who you are and what your customer wants and how can you bridge that gap consistently. Uh, over a period of time throughout their journey. So that that is something, and you know, I can give you tips on that, but that's the, the mindset that you have to have. How can I serve my ideal customer? Th that needs to be all that everybody's thinking about. How can we serve our ideal customer? What do they want? Do we have something that can help them? Okay, how can we help them based on what they want and what we have? Let's bridge that gap.
So Liz, can you talk to us about, uh, talk to our audience about something you want to teach them? Sure, absolutely. The funny part is, is that uh, I ended up kind of letting the cat out of the bag earlier in our conversation. Um, but my learning corner, when I really thought about what I wanted to talk about today, based on what we knew we were going to be covering with Shondell, is, is that idea of if you genuinely believe, whether you're the content marketer or the business leader watching or listening to this, that your people are really what make you stand out in the crowd, right? The people who are delivering the service or working with your clients or customers, if you, if your people in essence are your product, so to speak, you have to make sure that your content reflects that. And if you are looking at your content and you realize you have some of the problems that I mentioned before, where everything, even if there's some little bit of differentiation between each piece or the, each author, if it's all looking like it's running through that same business sterilized voice filter, um, if you realize and looking at your content and that of your competitors, even if the substance is mildly different, you all essentially sound alike. Number one, first step is admitting you have a problem. So it's good to be self-aware. You can't improve on anything if you don't at least admit where you're starting. And number two, there are three basic steps that sound really fluffy and it's about, a, a, but it's a cultural mindset shift. Mind set shift that you need to embrace in order to solve that problem. And number one, you need to go out of your way to reward your people for being conversational and a real human. So yes, I push back whenever I say like, could this draft have been anybody written by anybody else, but you, but when I get something where somebody clearly took a risk, where somebody told a personal story, I go out of their way to reward it to them. And then I also show it to other people. I then encourage them to go farther and say, yes, I want more of this. I will even highlight entire sections of a Google doc and say, yes, where has this been all of my life? Reward it, make it fun and exciting, make people feel that they can do this because often what's preventing people from stepping outside of their sterilized comfort zone is that fear that they're going to be reprimanded or it's not allowed and it's not okay. Um, number two, encourage people to share relevant, that's the key word, but honest stories of wins and failures and lessons learned. Shondell, you said something earlier today that really kind of speaks to this point, which is like, have you guys ever, ever been to conferences where somebody's like, I'm going to tell you the story about how in this absurdly short amount of time, I made a bajillion dollars. And it's just like their success story and how great they are. Yeah. That's the most infuriating effing thing I've ever heard of. It's like, great. That's you. Yeah. So I'm so glad we get to sit here for an hour and listen to how great you are. And you give me no takeaways. And it's basically a thinly veiled sales pitch. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Talk about lessons learned, share stories, share relevant anecdotes. I'm writing an article right now about what is sales enablement and sales enablement, I'm convinced is a word, a phrase that people use and they literally have no idea what that even means. And I equate it to the word fine in a romantic relationship. I will say I'm fine. The guy I'm seeing will say, oh, okay. And in my head, I'm about to kill and destroy a poor innocent kitchen cabinet because I'm not fine. Everything's not fine and everything's a disaster. And he's not a mind reader, like that lack of shared definition. So like you can have fun, you can bring in anecdotes, you can bring in interesting comparisons. You can tell stories about how you screwed up once and that's okay because we're all humans. And then finally, I would say the biggest thing is to create space for your people to share their true opinions even if they conflict with each other. And that's okay. 
you can conflict with yourself. I've written things and then linked to it and a year later and been like, remember when I wrote that thing? Oh my God, I was so wrong. Like could not have been more wrong. Have you ever had that where you like think one thing and then you wake up one year later and you're like, I'm an idiot, which is what I did on my 30th birthday and reflected on my entire twenties. Like <laughs> this is what we do as humans. We grow and learn um, and have opinions. Um, I think there's a big fear with opinions that someone's going to disagree with you. And it's like, what did I say last time, John, if you're the guy who never pisses anybody off at a party, you're super agreeable, never disagree with anybody. Everyone will be like, yeah, that guy was really nice. What's his name? Like no one, no one remembers, no one will remember you. And you're probably also not saying anything of substance. That's my learning corner for this week. For the love of God, if your people are your best asset, your biggest differentiator, start making sure your content actually shows that. Otherwise, how are we going to know? Do I lean my face up against the building where your company is and just like absorb the thought through osmosis? Like, no, come on. Come on now, kid. Oh, you are so funny. Huh. <laughs> Sound out. What are you reading? I want to know. I'm reading a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm reading uh, Marie Forleo's book, uh, Everything is Figureoutable. That's really, really good. Um, Traffic Secrets by Russell Brunson. Everything Russell Brunson writes is, is phenomenal, um, especially because his whole thing is, is traffic and how to get traffic and how to create great content. So yeah, Russell Brunson's uh, a, a genius when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I've pretty much read a lot of what he has written, um, but that's when, I, and then I read a lot of real estate investing books. Love it. Yeah. John, okay. what are you reading? I'm putting you on the spot. You're always reading something. I am, but I'm still like, so I mentioned this briefly last time with Kevin that there's this show that I wanted to start watching that is based on a book. And so like I watched like the first episode and, and really liked it and felt like I had to pause and read the book because the book is supposedly great as well. So I am like now like 200 pages into like a 700 page book that I need to finish before I can watch the show that I want to watch. What is it called? So it's called The Terror, which sounds, it's, well, it's sort Terrifying. of horror, but, but, but there's actually, which feels like a really bad idea. There was a boat called the HMS Terror and okay. it, it went out um, to try to find the Northwest Passage. So through the, you know, islands north of Canada and around Alaska. Mm. Um, in like the 1830s or something like that and went with two ships and um, like 200 men, none of whom were ever seen again. Wow. Uh, so it was, it was a huge you know, story and scandal and they eventually found the ship or found the two ships, but not until like 2015. And so wow. this it took like literally hundreds of years and, and there were all these questions about what actually happened to them. And so this is a book that takes what we know and then fictionalizes it. And then it was turned into an AMC series in like, I think 2018 or 2019 or something. So it's pretty recent and I've always been interested in it. And so that's what I'm in the middle of. The Terror by Dan Simmons. It's- Ooh, wow. Okay. And like, especially it's been so cold. It yeah. like, I'm like huddling and reading, but then in the actual book, it's like 65 degrees below zero. And then I oh. feel like- a God, big, that sounds like Canada. Yeah, exactly. Because oh, it's like it's like twenty degrees here, and I'm like, it's so cold. Yeah, me and, too. I say the same thing. <laughs> so, where did they find the ships? One yeah, of those. One of those small islands up. Uh, I think it's called um, King William Land or Prince. Of the, I think 
back in those days, I think, you know, under the flag of Britain, they just pointed to islands and were like, okay, that is <laughs> King George land, yeah. King William land, Prince of Wales land, you know, and so there are all these islands that are, I think, uninhabited and still uninhabited, and it's somewhere up there. Wow, interesting. Now, well, you're making me want to um, watch the series. I love it's, that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, great. So, Shandell, thank you so much for being here and thank you for sharing having your perspective. Uh, if, if people want to find out more about you and your business, how can they find you? Yeah, they can. I'm on LinkedIn often. So my handle is Shandell Varciana, V-A-R-C-I-A-N-N-A. Um, and uh, my website is Varci Media, V-A-R-C-I Media.com. And you're based out of Atlanta now? Yes. Yeah, I live in Atlanta, awesome. Georgia. Been here awesome. since uh, 2014. And I'm sure it's warmer there than it is here. There's literally it's like cold. feet of snow out here. There's a, where, where are you? Connecticut. Oh, I got family in Bridgeport. Okay. They yeah. got snow too, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's colder there than here. Yeah. We don't have snow. Keep the snow. Don't send it here. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, for sharing your thoughts, uh, for, for being here for our audience and I think delivering so much value for them. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, until next week, everybody.